0: haven't mentioned in a while that if uh, people want to hear other things, that they can go to patreon.com forward slash creation instruction to follow the other things, our Hebrew study or the Sabbath study or uh, the vaccinations or whatever the case might be that you'd like to hear about. Uh, I've been posting everything there. We left off on Galatians 3 verse uh, 26 through or verse 25, we're going to pick up there and get through chapter 4, verse 7 here tonight, hopefully, and we're going to see that there are two two main things tonight, is that the unity that Christ brings, but also the importance that, yes, we have become spiritual Jews, but there is some sort of importance with physical DNA Jew, and we'll talk about that as we go here tonight. But to keep context, I just want you to remember that in chapter 2, he was talking about circumcision and how there was no need for physical circumcision, but rather a circumcision of the heart. And we talked about how important that was, that it was something that was predicted in the Old Covenant... That it wasn't a new concept that Paul is bringing up here, but it was something that was even told about in the Old Testament, that there would be a circumcision of the heart. And that things would be moved from stone to the heart. A desire. That the law itself wouldn't change, but its location did. And we also saw that his whole point in bringing that up was that He's trying to say that you cannot be justified, you cannot be saved by works. By obeying God, following the commandments, being circumcised, none of those things are going to bring about salvation. The only thing that's going to bring salvation, as I know you are well aware of, is faith in Christ Jesus. And that is where he's starting to move this into even more here now. Um... He talked about faith is what justifies, but now he's going to say it doesn't just justify you, it brings unity to the body of Christ. It's going to tear down this wall of separation that there was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Last week, uh, Deb, you were talking about how the Jews just have this idea that we're God's people. That's all we need. What, What do I need to be saved from? I'm God's people they still have that attitude to this day. And that is the attitude that was there, and we'll talk about that, to where you Gentiles, you were the uncircumcised, you were the heathen, you were the pagan. God isn't, He's not your God, He's our God. You have no business keeping the Ten Commandments. We don't expect you to keep the Ten Commandments. And now what you're seeing is He's going to show that once Christ has come, those Ten Commandments that He gave to the Jewish people have been expanded to everybody and not only as a means, of not just as, not not as a means of salvation, but instead as a blessing and a gift, as a sign of you're my people. And so that's what he's going to get in here, here to right away. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now notice what makes you a son of God there. Not works, but faith, period. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we're getting a couple of things here. I mean, this is just like this high intellectual talk, it seems, but it's not that complicated. What does it mean to be baptized into Christ? What does it mean to put on Christ? Is this just allegory, metaphor? What are we talking about? How do you wear somebody? We're going to look at that. But before I do, I want you to see Matthew 5 9. I know when we were in Israel, when we were on the Mount of Beatitudes there, I talked about this a little bit. Where it's interesting that when Jesus came the first, you know, before he dies on the cross, his ministry was under the law. The new covenant hadn't come yet. We often say that there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament begins in Matthew. No, it doesn't. It might begin in Matthew 28 maybe 27, but that's still Old Testament. He came under the law. And that is why he says here in the great Beatitudes, this wonderful message of blessed are, blessed, 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 he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I remember reading that thinking, what if you're not a peacemaker? Then you're not a son of God. So some of those people I know that it seems like everywhere they go, they're causing trouble. They are not sons of God. (laughs) Okay? and Well, he raised his hand. (laughs) So you go read those Beatitudes. What I want you to see is that this is not a gospel message. Never was. It was a message that sent them to hell. It was in that same beatitude. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. And Andrew would have been over there thinking, yeah, that's right. I haven't killed anybody. But he says, but I tell you that if you even have, if you have hate in your heart, you've murdered your brother. And then Andrew would have to go, oh. You've heard it said, you know, don't commit adultery. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I tell you, If you've looked with lust, you've committed adultery. That's the Beatitudes, folks. It's, you're going to hell. I'm telling you, those people, after they heard this great Sermon on the Mount, didn't go home going, oh, what a wonderful message. They went home thinking, we're doomed. How can I be saved? That's what they went home thinking. Go read it. He ends basically by saying this, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the law and the Pharisees, or the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do you think that made them feel? That'd be like me saying, if you guys aren't better than the best Christian you can imagine, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. That would not send me home skipping. But that's the Beatitudes. The whole point that Jesus was doing there was to show them the very concept Galatians is saying here now. You cannot be good enough to be saved. You can't earn it. Works are not going to get you there. That's what they went home understanding after the Beatitudes. He was setting them up with the law so that when He died on the cross and rose from the dead, they would be so thirsty for an answer, so thirsty for a way out that they would drink of the living water and be satisfied. That's what he was doing in the Beatitudes. And so, even under the ministry of the law, he was doing what the law was supposed to do. Convict of sin to point you to Messiah. To point you to life. So, Notice the law never changed. It's the understanding of the law and a desire to obey the law and who the law was for that changes. Because now it's in the heart. It's for the Gentiles. And you will have a desire to do it. That is the difference He never got rid of the law. Not one jot, not one tittle will pass away as long as heaven and earth remain. But somehow Christianity has turned it into not only has the law been taken away, but then when the law is read, they make it a gospel message in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. It's so inconsistent. It's like we have to take a step back and look at Scripture To get our doctrines, not our upbringing, not our culture. So let's look at what does it mean to put on Christ. Uh, By the way, not only does he say it here in Galatians, but he's also going to say it in Colossians too. That, you see, after the cross, he says, no, you are sons of God. Where you knew you couldn't do it before, now you can be. By faith and faith alone. Like I said, that is what Paul is saying here in Galatians. Now, I'm going to kind of give you some verses outside of Galatians just to kind of reiterate what he's saying and explain what he's saying here. Colossians 2.11, In him, Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. A circumcision of Christ... It's not like he's your rabbi coming to do your little eight-day circumcision. What do they call those guys? Uh, uh, moil. moil. Yeah, the moil. Terrible curve. Yeah. So, point is, there's something deeper than physical circumcision going on here. It says, by the circumcision of Christ buried with Him in baptism. That's the circumcision of Christ. You see, what was circumcision? Well, it was taking that extra skin of the male organ and cutting it off. It was taking this very private, sexual, personal aspect and cutting off of the flesh, getting rid of the flesh. In essence, that's what baptism is supposed to do. It is the cutting off of the flesh, getting rid of fleshly desires. That's what it means to be baptized and buried with Christ. Now, this is the other thing. I'm not going to make this a, a message about baptism because we'd be here all night again, but we always hear about baptism as this great, wonderful thing. It is a great, wonderful thing. But what I want you to see is what it does. It buries you. Baptism in itself kills you you are buried with Christ in baptism which is why the whole symbol of when you are dunked under the water it's like you're drowning you're you're dead but then you are raised to life through faith in Christ Jesus it will go on to say so baptism in itself is going to leave you dead Without faith. Without Jesus. You're buried, but also raised through faith. And that's an important distinction to make here. Raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Don't just leave off that second part there of being raised through faith. If you do, you're still dead. Now, Romans 13, 14 says the same verbiage that we read there in Galatians, to put on Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? Well, we get a little added, added detail here. Make no provisions of the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, I think this is so important for us to contemplate, meditate, meditate and put into practice right now to give your flesh no reason to scream to cry out to feed it my wife was telling me today or yesterday about a person who took the vaccine hours before being fired he would lose his pension, his retirement, everything. And in agony, in tears, in awful torment, he sat in his car for hours, it seems, that just weeping, crying, not wanting to do it, calling the family. The family comes, they all pray together, they weep together. And at the last moment, he goes in and he gets the shot. I don't blame him. I understand. But I think this is exactly part of what's talking that we need to put into practice. Guys, we have to be willing to cut off the flesh. Everything that your heart desires right now, whether it be your job, your pension, your house, your kids, your spouse, it doesn't matter. You need to be willing to lay it all down. I. When we were singing tonight, this verse kind of came to mind, Revelation twelve eleven, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Hebrews says we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who believe and are saved. We must not shrink back. We must not give this flesh what it needs. We must not make this world our kingdom. We must not keep loving this world and the thing it has has to offer. Now more than ever, guys, I am pleading with you to stop thinking about the things that this world has for you and to put on Christ. And to just exercise that, put it into practice and say nothing else matters but my purpose here to raise my children, my grandchildren, to share the Gospel with my friends, to stand up for truth. Guys, whether people believe you or not, whether they change their thinking or not, makes no difference. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel... Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, how many of them had huge followings that were like, yes, we want that? No, they were all, everybody thought they were all nuts. They didn't have a big church following. They preached the word because they were being faithful to Christ and the results didn't matter. I mean, they wanted good results, obviously, but um, they didn't see it okay so i think that in part that's what this is saying put on the lord jesus christ means take off the world take off the flesh first peter 318 for christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, or by the Spirit. So to put on Christ is to put on the circumcision of baptism, which is to die with Christ, which is to put off the flesh, which is to say, I don't care about this world. I don't care about my next vacation. I don't care about my next new car. I don't care about my next house that we're building. I don't care. Now, again, it doesn't mean you can't do those things. But it means this, your heart is not there. Your heart is in Christ. And every single one of us has something where our heart gets swayed or taken, our eyes get off of Christ. All of us. And we need to exercise that. So, the flesh must die And we have to stop being friends with this world. It is so easy to just plan. This is what I want. I want to go see this. I want to go do that. I want to have this. But that is not why you're here. Adulterer and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is a lot more of this baptism and being buried with Christ than just going and being dunked in water. He's calling us to live for Him. So, you have to answer your own question of how you're a friend of this world. How maybe this world is pulling you and leading you and has all of these desires that are of the flesh. Back to Galatians, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now keep the context here. It's because by faith, that you have put on Christ and when you put on Christ this is what happens there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus now let me stop there and let you know this is not as the transgender world has tried to use this verse out of context and say there is neither male nor female and therefore you know you are whatever you want to be they do use this verse for that. Completely out of context and just blasphemous. He's saying whether you're a Jew or a Greek or a male or a female does not matter when it comes to being saved. God does not love a man more than a woman or a woman more than a man or a Jew more than a Greek or a Greek more than a Jew. He loves you all. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I know a lot of women, even in my own family, who have struggled with this idea that the Bible somehow seems to treat women not as fairly. That they just don't seem to have the merit. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is just one verse of many that will show that. We have different roles, absolutely, but... You are one in Christ just as much as any male is. Just as valued in the body of Christ. Just as needed in the body of Christ. And frankly, without you, the body of Christ would suffer dearly. Verse 29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And we've looked at that before in the sense, and if you are in Christ, you are now Abraham's seed, which means you are now a Jew. That's what you are, a spiritual Jew. Maybe not DNA, but spiritually, that's what you have become. So Romans said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether slave or free or Greek or male or female or Jew, it doesn't make any difference. So let's look at what this oneness, because he says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is what Galatians is telling us. Through faith happens. So let's go and show you some other examples of what Jesus is talking about. What does it mean to be one? Jesus, in his own prayer here in John chapter 17, said, I do not pray for these alone, These disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. That the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I mean, you can read this and get lost in, in the verbiage, but this isn't that complicated. There is one body of Christ and we all need each other. That's why we need to be lifting each other up in prayer. That's why we need to mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who are weeping and, and encourage those who need encouragement. Strengthen one another. You see... That is the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Yeshua is that we may be one as He is one with the Father. What the Father wants Him to do, He'll do. Remember what Jesus said? I do nothing on my own. How many things do we do in this world where we're just going off on our own to go see the world, to see the creation God has created, to buy the things that man has created, to save up money to to do whatever. Is that the Father's will? He doesn't forbid it. But what he's saying is, if Jesus does what the Father wants him to do, we should be doing what Jesus wants us to do. And I'm telling you, Americans, we have taken our eyes off of Jesus and have become friends with this world. We. I'm putting myself in there. No dual covenant here, right? No gospel for the Jew and a gospel for the Gentile, a rule for the Jew and a rule for the Gentile. Paul is seeing that here in Galatia, the unity that Jesus had with the Father is not evident in them. He's warning them. Hey, you Galatians, I am not seeing a unity. We're supposed to be one in Christ. But instead what I'm seeing is this division. And some are saying that you've got to be circumcised to be saved and you've got to do this to be saved. He says, no, we're one in faith. That's what Paul is seeing. Ephesians 2.11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, made in the flesh by hands, physical, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens. Yes, Gentiles, all of us without Christ were aliens to the covenant, to the promises, to the law. Without Christ, yeah, I agree, the law was foreign to you. Okay, Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. No hope. Guys, that ought to put in perspective those friends, family members, whatever it is that you know who do not know Christ. They have no hope. Let that sink in. Let that be what motivates you to say, you know what, I don't care what they think of me. I'm going to tell them the truth. Because they have no hope at all. This is a theme that we're seeing in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Galatians, it's even in Romans. This is not a message that you take in Galatians and, sit and isolate it and make it out of something that, oh, now we don't need the law anymore. It's a consistent message in all of these epistles. It's all saying the same thing, and yet we kind of have a tendency to separate them and and take little sound bites to make our doctrines out of. We can't do that. The covenant used to be exclusively, exclusively for Israel. But now, you as Gentiles have been grafted in. But if you're not grafted in, if you don't have Christ, you're still an alien, a foreigner, an outsider, without hope, without God. When you believe, you become a citizen. Remember we talked about that before, what it meant to be a citizen, a family, a proselyte versus a convert. And when you become a citizen, there were benefits. When you become a citizen of heaven, there are benefits. One of them is the law of God. That is a benefit, not a curse. But a benefit for you. Blessed are you who keep these commandments. You'll be blessed if you keep them, cursed if you don't. And so one of the benefits of being a citizen is now you get to obey God. And that brings all kinds of blessings. Ephesians 2.13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you aliens, you foreigners, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has, been, who has made both one, both Jew and Gentile, has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. I'm going to jump back to this. Let me talk about this middle wall of separation. There was a, a wall of separation between a Jew and a Gentile. Do you know there literally was one in the temple? Josephus talks about this. The Jews know. I mean, this is common knowledge in the Jewish families. Okay, Josephus, this is what he says in uh, Wars of the Jews. Thus the, was the first enclosure in the midst of which, and not far from it, was the second to be gone up by a few steps. This was encompassed by a stone wall for a partition with an inscription which forbade any foreigner to go in under pain of death. There was a partition made of stone all around, whose height was three cubits. Its construction was very elegant. Upon it stood pillars at equal distances from one another, declaring the law of purity, some in Greek, some in Roman letters, that no foreigner should go within that sanctuary. Between the outer court and the temple there was this wall of separation that Gentiles were not allowed to cross. Do you remember in Acts 21 I believe, Paul is going he goes to Jerusalem and what happens? He gets all he basically makes this uh, vow to show everybody that he was not against Moses and He goes into the temple and they all get upset with him because he sees that there are these Gentiles, two Gentiles that were inside the, you know, they crossed this wall of separation. And they think Paul brought him in. And it was such a big deal, they were ready to stone Paul. That's what Josephus is saying here. It was that big of a deal. There was truly a wall of separation. I I guarantee you, anybody in the first century reading ephesians 2 here would have had in their mind when he said this wall of separation would have had this in mind well with that covered giving some context to this let me look at this other part that is used against me and many others who who uphold the law today verse 15 It says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. People say, see, Jesus got rid of the law. When Jesus died on the cross, he abolished the law. Which is so interesting since he said, I did not come to abolish the law. Where not one jot or one tittle is going to pass away. Or Paul says, do we nullify the law? Not at all where I can give you verse after verse after verse that says, no, the law cannot be abolished. Yet we'll take this, isolate it, make a sound bite, and say, ah, oh, I'm free from the law. I have it here in Greek for you, that, that sentence here, just um, commandments contained in ordinances. Well, actually, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances right here I've got them in blue but here's the word in okay and then that word is the one that's used for ordinances it's dogmason. Dogmason. if you look up that greek word throughout all of scripture and then go into the greek septuagint which is simply the greek translation of the old testament Every time that word is used, you're going to see it has nothing to do with God's commandments. It is purely man-made rules, decrees of men. Now, keep in context what we've been talking about in Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians. What he keeps talking about is circumcision, baptism, faith. In Galatians, he's just got done saying, What are you doing? Don't get put back under this law, man-made rule, that you're going to have to be circumcised in order to be saved, that you have to go through these rules for justification before God. It's by faith that you're saved. That's exactly what this is saying here. Having abolished in his flesh, when Jesus died on that cross, he got rid of the enmity, the condemnation of the law, And it says that is the law of commandments contained in man-made rules as well. So either way, whether it just be the condemnation of the law is gone, or the fact that he's saying, listen, all of these man-made things that you have, those are gone. They never really did exist. But that's what the Greek says. And so the English word there for ordinances, I have there that you can look at it if you want later, but it is an opinion. It is something that is, it's not God's commands or decrees. It's man's decrees and opinions. That's how that word is used. And so that's very important to get the context of what's going on here. By the way, this phrase, the way it's used here, is only, of all of scripture, it is only here in Ephesians. Nowhere else. That's another important thing to know. So anyway, uh, same context. We're being brought near. We're being made one in Christ. Not through commandments. Not through man-made laws. Not even, well, yeah, it's by faith. By faith alone. Okay? That word is the word for ordinances? Um, Yes, yep. The one, uh, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So, in ordinances is that uh, endognison. Exodus 12:43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you, a stranger would be a non-Jew, uh, you know, the uncircumcised. When they want to keep the Passover to the Lord, Notice that word wants. That's a desire. When they want to keep Passover, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, keep the Passover, and he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Again, no dual covenant, no rules. It says, when you want to keep Passover, you are not a foreigner anymore. You get to keep it. The other thing I like here is that no uncircumcised person, no foreigner, can eat Passover. That's why I say when we take communion, guys, this is not something to take lightly. It's not something for everybody to take. It's not something even just to give your kids if they don't know what's going on here because... This is serious stuff. Even in the Old Testament, there was this, you might, in the Lutheran church, they called it closed communion. Not everybody willy nilly gets to come up that came to church to take communion, because in Corinthians it says that if you eat and drink without recognizing the body of Christ, you eat and drink to your own damnation. That's what it says in the New Testament, because that's what it said in the Old Testament. You're not allowed. Because this is serious stuff. That communion is only for his family. For those who are no longer strangers and foreigners. But who want to be in covenant with him. Who want to eat the Passover. Who want to follow Jesus. So... Anyway, uh, point being, Paul keeps making this point that physical circumcision has no meaning. It's a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of the heart, a desire that makes us one, a a desire to follow Christ. That's called faith. Ephesians 2.16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Again, it's dealing with this wall of separation that Galatians is talking about. You guys are saying you've got to be circumcised. No, it's by faith. In faith that wall is torn down and we all now have access. This is what the context is talking about here in Galatians. Um... Just kind of going on here a little bit in verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. So, just like in Exodus, when the aliens became native born, we see here in Christ the same thing happens because Christ is that cornerstone. He is the foundation. It wasn't by getting rid of the law that made you one but by getting rid of the enmity, by getting rid of the condemnation, by getting rid of the man-made rules, by putting us all under the same justification by faith alone that makes you one. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the leaven, or with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, fleshly things, evil, greed, malice, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity, desire, love, faith, and truth, Jesus So just like in Exodus again, we're seeing this in the New Testament. And keep in mind he is talking to Corinthians. Do you know who Corinthians were? Were they the circumcised or the uncircumcised? They were the Gentiles. And what is he telling them to do? Keep the Passover. Keep the feast. That's what you're supposed to do. Keep the feast, but now in truth and in obedience... If you're a believer, if you're partaking of this feast, then do it in sincerity and truth, following Yeshua, not being a foreigner, uncircumcised. But now because you're no longer a foreigner, keep it. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 7, Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. He's talking about the physical. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing in the flesh. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. What? I thought we were in the New Testament here. So, what matters is obedience. Now that you're a Christian, now that you are saved, it does matter. Not for salvation, that's already been accomplished. But now, to walk in Christ, to be one, obedience to the Word of God. Do you know why there isn't unity in the church today? Nobody believes the Word of God. Nobody's taking it seriously. There's no unity because there's no obedience in Christ because nobody can agree what's right and wrong because they make up their own rules. We've got dogmatism. We've got all of this man made rules. One church says this, another church says that, but it's not based on the Word of God. It's based on culture, it's based on society, it's based on emotions, it's based on money, it's based on keeping members, it's based on anything but the Word of God. What brings unity? Christ the law of God that's who Christ is the word of God so again the common theme here in Galatians in Ephesians Corinthians Colossians so it's not difficult to interpret what's going on in Galatians if we just look at the rest of the epistles in the Old Testament as well 1 Corinthians 7, uh, just a couple of verses later in verse 22. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. I'm free. I'm free in Christ. What does that mean? Now you're a slave (laughs) to Jesus. But that is the whole point of the Old Testament. Remember, if you were a slave of your master and you wanted to be, you stuck your earlobe on the door frame of the house, and they'd take an awl and they would pierce your ear, saying, I want to be yours for the rest of my life. I want to be a slave because I choose to be a slave to you, to a good master. I choose to follow Christ and obey his commandments. Let him be my master. You know that, that whole phrase, no, Lord is an oxymoron. If you are a slave, and your Lord, your master, says you go do this, and you say no, whoo. if you call Jesus Lord, then that means you are recognizing Him to be your master, the one who tells you what to do, when to do it. He says jump, you say how high. And you enjoy doing it. That is, is what this is talking about you were bought at a price do not become slaves of men Christianity has become slaves of men churches have become slaves of men because we have to be careful we can't talk about this because that person over there well they've gone through a divorce so I won't talk about divorce that that woman over there has had an abortion so I won't talk about abortion let's just talk about sin in general Or that person doesn't believe in this, so I'm not going to talk about... Let's just not talk about doctrines, because that divides people. No, we're going to talk about truth, the doctrine of Scripture. And if you don't like it, then we won't be in fellowship together, and that's okay, because I'm not here for men. If I should yet seek to please men, I should not be a servant of Christ Jesus, Galatians 1.10. Now, What I love about this is you were bought at a price. This whole context that we've been reading here in 1 Corinthians 7, okay, I've just been going on, okay, he talks about keeping the feasts, keeping the commandments, right? Keep that context when he's saying that you were bought at a price because what we see here in Galatians, or not Galatians, but uh, Exodus 12 is this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. Let me tell you, when they were reading this in Corinthians, any Jew, when it says you were bought at a price, when he's been talking about Passover, would have understood Exodus 12 talking about being bought at a price being circumcised because you wanted to keep the Passover. You had a desire to follow God's commandments so that you could eat it, so that you could not have a meal at McDonald's, but they understood that you were eating it because this was a membership being invited to the Lord's table. This was a sacrifice to the God of heaven, the Lord Almighty. This is not just a meal. Let's come over for a barbecue. They knew this was a spiritual thing and they wanted to be part of the family of God. Do you? Then keep the feast. Keep the commandments. That's what he's saying. So, if they had not been circumcised in the heart, they would not have been purchased, they would not have been welcome they would not be eating the Passover, communing with God. Back to Galatians here. Again, we we read this, but just to get our context back, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Remember what he says in John to the uh, Pharisees? If you were Abraham's children you would do as Abraham did. So because you are Abraham's seed means, well, if you really are Abraham's seed, you're going to do. You're going to keep the commandments. You may say, well, the commandments weren't given yet. It, you know, Moses is after Abraham. No, 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 no. I, I realize that, but Abraham had the commandments. Okay? I, 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 we won't get into that again tonight, but they had the commandments. That's when the commandments were written on stone and, you know, we have them uh, put in the ark, that, uh, kind of a. They were added because of transgression. But Abraham followed. Okay? He was given circumcision. Ephesians 6:5: bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. So, again, by taking this out of context, it can be twisted, which is why it's so important that, again, we we look at the context. But bond servants, I heard somebody once say, well, it was in a song on Hell's Bells, I would rather be... I don't remember what the word was, but basically be free and on my own than to be a servant in heaven. I'd rather be free in hell than to be a servant in heaven. Let me tell you that's not how it works. Bondservants though are to be obedient to those who are our masters. It's like I said before you don't say no Lord. If you call him Lord that makes him your master if that if he is your master then you are to be obedient to him god is a gentleman he doesn't force you to be his servant that's your choice that was why you got to choose to have your ear pierced in the old testament we have equal opportunity in the rights that we have but we are not all equal i will never be an NBA basketball player. Okay, I, I am not equal with them. Yeah, even here we see that there are classes of people that are recognized. There are slaves and there are masters. He doesn't tell bond servants to strive to be masters, to strive to be their bosses, nor does he tell masters to share their wealth and to give their, you know, their servants. Equal amount so that everybody is equal. He doesn't do that. The scriptures indicate there are classes of people, and that's how it works. We even see that when it talks about gifts you know, the greatest of these, or seek the greater gifts. Uh, all of these kind There are greater things, but we all need it. There's a body of Christ, and we need to, you know, some are noble and some are innoble purposes. Yeah, The slavery that the Bible talks about is nothing like the slavery that people typically think of and frankly historically probably is not accurate the way I mean it did happen but that wasn't what all slavery was like even yeah Uh, so yeah that's that's again the changing of historical revisionism and that kind of thing today to make America bad that kind of thing Romans 3.1, what advantage then has the Jew? What va- profit of circumcision? So I've said that you're all Jews, but yet there is an advantage of being a Jew. So he's kind of, well, if not everybody is a DNA Jew, what, what's the advantage? He says, chiefly because of them were committed the oracles of God. I think it's the NIV that says they were entrusted with the very words of God. We've talked about this before where I'll tell you what, if God had given me the Word of God to preserve it throughout generations, I would have done a terrible job of it. They did an amazing job of it. The Dead Sea Scrolls, all of our historical records show that they did an absolutely divine job of preserving God's Word accurately. Anybody who thinks that God's Word has been changed throughout the generations to where it's not accurate and all that, Then they are uneducated, ignorant of history, of literature, and of common sense. Because you cannot deny it. Even if you don't believe that what the scriptures say is true, you cannot argue the accuracy of the Bible. You do not know what you're talking about if you think that it's filled with errors and mistakes and whatnot. So... Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So, there is a difference between a Jew and a Greek in the flesh, in the DNA, in our calling. We are not all equal. Like I said, there is a different calling in the f- flesh, but when it comes to salvation, there is no difference. Kind of like the Constitution. But it is a relevant difference. Or yeah, the Declaration of Independence. Thank you. Um, it's very relevant. And it is very significant to be a DNA Jew. Who is also a spiritual Jew? Okay, I'm going to separate. Or make that distinction. If you are a DNA Jew that does not know Messiah, you're on your way to hell. Just because you are a DNA Jew doesn't make you saved. As a matter of fact, you are a child of the devil, Jesus said. But if you are a DNA Jew and a spiritual Jew, one of faith, there is a blessing. And when salvation comes, there is a reward first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. When there is punishment, it will go first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It says there in Romans chapter 1. Now, I want to go back to this Romans 3 here as well. Much, he says. Not just, well, there's some advantage. Much advantage in every way. And we're going to come back to this in a minute because they were entrusted with the words of God. But before we do, let's look here at Romans Romans 9.3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, according to the DNA Jew, Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption? In other words, it's the Israelites that were first adopted into the covenants. The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God. Notice the giving of the law was not a punishment, it wasn't a curse, it wasn't some negative thing, it was a blessing. What advantage is there? You got the law. And yet today, Christianity wants to get rid of it. He says, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh. The NIV, again, it just says, theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory. Theirs the covenants. Theirs the receiving of the law. Theirs okay, the promises. The temple worship, it says. So, this is all good stuff. Now, just because it was given to them first, remember, salvation comes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We, when we're grafted in, we get all of those things, including the law. And we should say, "Praise God! Thank you that you gave me the law. I'm not going to trample on that. I'm not going to, you know, treat it as if it was something unholy or bad, or some way that I can use it to get to heaven. I'm going to use it as it was intended to be." John 4:22. You worship what you do not know. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well. She's saying, you know, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us, you know, what we're supposed to do, and he basically says, "I'm He." He says, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. But we Jews, we worship what we do know. There is a difference. And he says, we know what we worship. Why? For salvation is of the Jews. Let me tell you, you wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for the Jews first. Because it came to them first. So there is a huge advantage of being a DNA Jew. And that's why you need to pray for them. That's why you should be witnessing to them. And, you know, consider it an important thing to give them the gospel. Loving the Jew without the gospel is not loving the Jew. You can give them money get them back to the Holy Land. That means nothing if you don't give them the gospel. Deuteronomy 23, 19. You shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. Nehemiah rebuked the Jews as well for charging interest to their own Jewish brethren. But if you were a Gentile, you could charge that person interest. So how does this fit with the New Testament covenant? Well, if I'm grafted in, I should be getting interest-free loans from that bank, right? If it's Jewish-owned, right? But think about it. When it comes to us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be helping one another out without, you know... Yeah. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have your services paid for or be giving everything away. I mean, you can... But I've always said I would make a terrible businessman because even with my books and DVDs, I mean, I'm to, any of you want it, I'll give it to you. So it's, it's kind of one of those things that I, I would have a hard time making money off of another believer. It's, just, it's hard for that mindset. But anyway... Uh, when you become a believer, you should not be charged interest. This is because you're grafted into Israel and are no longer a foreigner. You are a native-born Jew, spiritually. So this is also then what it means, that there is no Jew, there is no Greek, male or female. You are all considered one. So back to Galatians chapter 4 here. i getting close to finishing up now. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave Though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So you're an heir, a co-heir. You're a child of God. And it says though, though you are master of all, you're still kind of you can be a slave. It does not differ at all from a slave. It's under guardians, stewards. You're under rules, requirements, submission, until he comes. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Slavery to the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Not to get rid of the law, but to redeem those who were condemned by the law, is what it's saying. And so he's basically bringing this concept back that he had earlier brought to the table, saying that we were in bondage to sin. We had no control over it, just as an heir who is a child has no rights. Okay? When you bring a child, into, you know, Evelyn has no rights in this family at this point. Okay? But when Jesus came, it was time for our rights to be given to us through him. The elements of this world, where it talks about bondage under the elements of the world here, is connected to under the law not saying again that the law is bad but showing a relationship between sin and the law remember earlier we talked about the world is like the flesh and we are not to be of the flesh but we are to be of the spirit so we gave the example of a snake bite that when a snake bites someone you're going to die if it's a venomous snake but if it's not a venomous snake snake you will not die and so the bite of the of sin is like the uh, let me put it, the bite is sin, venom is the law. So if you get bit by a snake without the venom, there's no death. So if you get bit by sin, the law, the venom will kill you because you broke the law. You broke. The commandments of God and so if sin has no power the bite has no power because the condemnation of the law has been taken away you live what took away the power what took away the venom what took away the, the condemnation it's Jesus that's kind of in a sense what he's saying being born under the law to redeem those who were under the law to take away the venom of the bite of sin, Jesus becomes the anti-venom. Verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, "Abba, Father." Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. As Evelyn grew up, in that the, the you're given those rights, you become an heir when you are growing up, then you receive the inheritance. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We've been adopted. We now have full inheritance rights. Just like the Jew. Now, there's still a difference physically, but spiritually, there's no separation. Ezekiel 47, verse 22, It shall be that you will divide it by lot, as an inheritance for yourselves and for the strangers who dwell among you. This isn't just a New Testament concept that the wall of separation would be taken down and that Gentiles would also have the inheritance that the Jews got. We see it right here. The strangers who dwell among you, who bear children among you, they shall be to you as native born among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And it shall be that whatever tribe the stranger dwells, there you shall give him his inheritance, says the Lord God. This is why I say in the book of Revelation, we see that there are 12 gates around the new Jerusalem. And the names of the tribes of Israel are on those gates. Let me tell you, you're going through one of those gates. You will be assigned a tribe. Whatever tribe the stranger dwells, there you shall give him his inheritance. I don't know. I don't think there's any way you can identify what tribe you are going to dwell. But I do believe you will be assigned a tribe. I think my wife will be an Asher, just saying. I think because she's the happy. So. You're what? Gads Gads people. (laughs) I kept hearing gas people. I'm like, what? (laughs) It's a little dark. Gads people, yeah. So anyway, but again, only if there is circumcision of the heart does this happen. So to sum it all up, circumcision. Paul is saying here in Galatians, you don't get circumcised to be saved. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved at least not in the flesh, you have to be circumcised in the heart. And when you are circumcised in the heart, you are not only saved, but you have become one. You are a co-heir with Israel. And that wall of separation has come down and now you get to participate in the same blessings that the Jews had. The promises, the covenants, the word, the law. All of it you get to be a part of. So rather than running away from it, we're supposed to be running to it and and being thankful for it. Because by Christ we've been saved to have that blessing. As, As I've said before, the Ten Commandments were given after the Passover Lamb of Exodus. And likewise, it's after the cross that Jesus says, if you love me, do what I say. Now that I have shown you my love respond all right let's close in prayer lord jesus thank you for this wonderful gift father for so long we have neglected your law we haven't taken it seriously we've seen it as obsolete null, void lord put it in our hearts we look forward to the day when you return and as someone who is no longer a foreigner, but a co-heir, a member of Christ Jesus. I look forward to that day when the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Come, Lord Jesus, and instruct us so that we may understand you in a deeper way, that we may understand the blessings that are in your word and in your Torah not to to make us slaves to fear but slaves to christ that just as it brought me great joy to be obedient to my father and mother and to see the joy it brought them that we would seek that same thing with you in the name of yeshua we pray amen